people deluded i'm back again welcome to another edition of the deluded podcast i hope you're all doing well and safe on this friday uh, it's 11 30 at the time of making this podcast we call it morning it's been a bit of a hectic morning for me i've had to bang out some youtube vids i've had some technical difficulties my mic didn't even want to connect to my imac uh, macbook sorry macbook pro you know us apple users it's not i mean the term laptop is so yeah it's not for us that's for peasants if you ain't got a macbook i don't know what you're doing are you really a youtuber if you ain't got a macbook and you don't go to starbucks or costa coffee and pretend you're doing important stuff which to be fair with covid i haven't been doing i know there's government incentives to make stuff half price and stuff at certain periods of the day i saw this week but i ain't been to no restaurants i've been well and safe just staying in my yard and you know if you've had to go to work if you're working from home if you've got loved ones i hope you're all doing well and safe as we know the end of the football season is fast approaching and the games are coming thick and fast and we know for obvious reasons it's been a bit of a distorted season nonetheless we're at the business end um arsenal i'm not in any top four shouts but as a when i take my arsenal cap off and just look at football in general it's exciting to a degree I, I, i'm seeing man united fight for top four seeing chelsea and leicester those three teams in particular is stick or twist whoever wants to mess up obviously wolves are behind them wolves have dropped probably four points in their last two games four vital points drawing to Arsenal and they lost courtesy of a last minute header by Egan I believe for Sheffield United so it's been a lot City are running riot Mo Salah's doing his thing Richarlison scored a cracker I see Danny Welbeck score some bicycle kick thing it's a Mazzellin Zaha scored a banger against Chelsea Chelsea hung on against Palace it's been a mad week in football um, and it's just simply like I said the business end of the season you just got to win games it don't matter how you do it City started off great. We might as well start with the Premier League stuff. Like you saw, Manchester City defeated Newcastle five goals to nil. They ran riot. Raheem Sterling, Gab Jesus, Mares, David Silva. Um, you know, lovely free kick from him and a known goal. And they just keep doing what they're doing. And yeah, there's not much to play for this season for 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 City. I not I say that they're in the semi-finals of an FA Cup. They've obviously got um the Champions League to come, so they could do a, a little double sort of thing. So there's always something to play for. Um, but we'll have to see. We've obviously defeated Newcastle five goals to nil. Um, they've completed ninety three percent, ninety three point seven percent of their passes against Newcastle. Better yet, seven hundred eighty eighty seven out of eight hundred and forty, which is the highest recorded figure in a Premier League game since full passing data is available. Um, since two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Um, with that, with that, David Silva, who's going to be leaving City, and no doubt being an amazing player. Um, he has now reached ten ten assists in all competitions in all 10 of his seasons with Man City with his second in this game his 121st in total for the club and he's been a terrific player he's also the first player aged 34 or older to score both at both a goal and assist in a Premier League game since a certain Zlatan Ibrahimovic did so against Sunderland in 2017 Kevin De Bruyne is really going to break Thierry Henry's record you know he's now up to 18 Premier League um He's now up to 18 Premier League assists, sorry. And that's the most by any player in the season in the division since the Belgium himself also set up 18 in 2016-17, which is also matching his personal best. 
Hopefully he doesn't go on and, and, and get the 20. You know, we want Henri to stay, but rules are there to be broken. And to be fair, you know, it, it has been going for how, over 20 years or so now. Someone's always got to break it. And, you know, Kevin De Bruyne is a lovely player to do it. He is worthy of that record. He has been chasing it. It is almost like sometimes he gets there and these City players don't want him to get over the line. But we'll have to see, man. Man City are also the first top flight side to have five different players score at least 10 league goals in a single season since Everton did that in 1984-85. Um, David Silva has also been involved in 12 goals in 16 games against Newcastle. Gabe has just scored his first goal in 10 appearances for City in all competitions, having attempted 19 shots without scoring um, between his goal tonight and his previous against Real Madrid in February. Um, so it's it's good for for City. They get back to winning ways. My club, Arsenal, now we drew 1-1 against Leicester. And, you know, it was... We definitely had a better game than I thought against Leicester. I thought, you know, it would be us hanging on against Leicester and things like that. We did all right. Shot ourselves in the foot, obviously, um, with conceding that late goal. Yes, Eddie Nketiah was sent off and Arsenal fans knew. At 11-11, we probably win down to 10 men. We're not going to be able to stay rigid and hold it. And, you know, we've dropped points from winning positions. Lord knows statistically how many winning points we've dropped from those positions. We're on, what, 14 draws for the Premier League season. This highlights the problems we're at and the task that Arteta has to hand. Me personally, there were some there were some positives. I felt on the counter attack, especially both teams, but especially on the counter attack, I think Saka, Lacazette looked all right, and Abamyam they looked on fire. I feel you know down the right hand side we was getting something going. I think Bellerin's rattled a bit. He was playing all right. Um, and Saka was doing his thing. Um, Saka obviously assisted Abamyan's goal. Um, but, you know, we were hanging on at periods in that second half. And as, and playing against Leicester, you know they're a team that like to cross. You know Jamie Vardy goes missing in terms of hanging on the last shoulder. And it's about, in those last moments, maintaining those standards. You know? Obviously, the red card, I don't feel the red card... The red card changed the game. I don't feel Eddie's to blame for us losing because that's just unfair and not serious. But his sending off made a light bulb tick in Rogers' head to say, you know what, I've got three defenders. Let me take off Bennett and put on Damari Gray. Gray, who's not really a regular in their team, every every bit of him wants to impress. He puts in a cross and Jamie Vardy scores. Um, so, yeah, it could have been avoided from that red card if it doesn't happen. For me, you know, Vardy was knocking on the door in the 60-odd minute. He lost his man and, and scuffed a left-foot shot. So, to lose him in the vital moments, you know, if you look on the half turn and he's missing, you're in serious problems and we kind of let ourselves down for his goal. He gets in between Mustafi and Bellerin. Joe Willick is there as well. Nobody picks up Vardy. And, you know, I can't imagine someone that's got 10 in 10 against Arsenal, someone that's a potent striker in the Premier League and is up there in terms of the goal-scoring stats. And I guarantee there was video analysis. I They'll be disappointed with that goal we conceded, people. Um, listen, I think it was a dark orange for Eddie, but I can understand why it's a red card. My problem is the consistencies. Like, there's no intent from, from Eddie, but reckless play is reckless play. Just because there's no intent doesn't mean it's re it's not reckless, if that's what people believe. But I don't understand Vardy's. Now, first time round, I thought Vardy did nothing wrong. But the more I watched that again, it's clearly not unnatural mo uh, movement. I did think Vardy meant to catch him, maybe not in his face, but he did try to follow through. He's realised what he's done and he said sorry. And it's a disgrace. I mean, we'll get into VAR in a second, but VAR is a joke, to put it nicely. Um, I think Arsenal, because of, you know, because of failing to really just keep that clean sheet, we let ourselves down. And I can't, we did have numerous chances. Lacazette had a couple of chances, especially to go 2-3 up. And we know for this season, Arsenal, we, we found some stability with 3-4-3, 3 at the back. But at least at this season, at least, we're not going to be a team that can, 
you know, see out clean sheets. And I know prior to this game was keeping some clean sheets, but we're not a team that does that. Does that. We're not a team for all of that. So, you know, attack is the best form of defence. And, you know, ifs and buts don't win games. But naturally, if we scored more, you know, it'd be a 2-1, a 3-1. It wouldn't be 1-1 and two points dropped. Um, which is which sucks, and especially going into the North North London derby, which Leicester is doing better than both teams, but it would have given us some insurance, you know. Um, 14 draws is there, and like I said, we've now drawn 14 games this season, people, the most of any side. While we've only shared the spoil, we've also shared the spoils more often in a single campaign in 1993, which we had 17. So this isn't a decent season for us. You know, Jamie Vardy has become just the fourth player to score at least 10 Premier League goals against Arsenal. And, you know, the list is quite extravagant. You've got Robbie Fowler, who loved it against us. Wayne Rooney, since the minute he played Premier League football, decided he don't like Arsenal and wants to score against them. And obviously, Harry Kane, the Arsenal fan, loves scoring against his team, people. Um, for Bakayo Saka, in all competitions, he's got 12 assists. Only Kevin De Bruyne and Trent Alexander-Arnold are among the Premier League players with more... Um, with more assists across all comps so for Saka considering this time last year was he in the first team not really it's been good progress and the challenge is doing that again it's a bit of a bad omen in that you know Mavropanos was sent off against um, Leicester a few years a years back in 2018 and now Eddie Nketiah has done it and he with that he's the youngest player to receive a red card actually for Arsenal in the league since Mavropanos people um, you know, shout out to Aubameyang because he's just, with his goal, you know, he scored his 20 league goals for the season and he comes just become the second player of Arsenal to score such in consecutive seasons after obviously Henri, Henri did it five years in a row between 2001 and 06, which is crazy. Obviously, with that though, we still remain unbeaten in 22 home league games against Leicester, drawing three and winning 19. We won each of our last 12 in a, in a row prior to this game, so it came to an end. Um, for my extended thoughts on Arsenal, you lot know, just head to my YouTube channel. Moving away from that, though, and obviously you saw Brighton defeated three goals to one against Liverpool. Two for Salah. Silly mistakes by Brighton. I think Keita looked good in in this game. You saw a rare banger from Henderson. He's got that in his locker, but you know Henderson's strengths aren't scoring goals. Liverpool have won the league. You know, they said they want to break the points tally and stuff like that and kind of build on for next season and not rest, in your, rest on your laurels. And, you know, I'm sure they'll go back in time and say, you know, that goal we conceded is, is poor. It was a decent goal from um, Trussart, but they did what they needed to do. You know, Liverpool, so far, Liverpool have only lost two games this season and drawn two, and they've won 30 of their last, well, sorry, people, 30 of their 34 games this season. This is the fastest any side has ever um, done in terms of reaching 30 league wins in a season in the history of EFL football people. Um, James Milner made his 500th and 36th Premier League appearance um, and that saw him move to fifth place in all time for most goals in the competition. I mean, I wonder if Gareth Barry is in terms of that. Mo Salah has reached 100 goal involvements for Liverpool. You know, he's got 73 goals and 27 assists in 104 appearances and he's just the fourth player to do so for the Reds. Again, you know, it's a good bit of history because he's with Robbie Fowler who has 158, Steven Gerrard with 212 and Michael Owen, which is 148. And considering, you know, he's... I still think there's more to come from him, people. I still think there's more to come in the Premier League. I, I, I would have thought Salah would have 100 Premier League goals by now. He'll do that next year. 27 assists. I think he's got more in him to offer more in that. In that, But he's been a terrific signing for them. There's no way around that, people. And like I said, man, if you're in any sort of statistics or Liverpool history and you see the names of, you know... Dalglish, Fowler, which Dalglish isn't here, but um, King Kenny, um, 
Fowler, Owen, Gerard, you know, and the rest of them. For any stat, if you find your name around these names, you're in good company, which Salah is. You know, Tossart's been doing his thing for Brighton. He has scored in the con in consecutive games for the first time since 2019, which was back in his previous club for Gent. While he has seven, while seven of his eight goals and assists in the Premier League this season have come at home. Um, you know, shout out to Naby Keita. I said he played all right, and he's assisted a goal in consecutive games for Liverpool, having only done such um, in his in, in to get to that milestone. Basically, it took him 37 games, which shows he might be finding his feet. People, um, after going seven hours and 47 minutes without scoring a goal away from home in all comps, Liverpool scored twice in the space of 120 27 seconds, which is crazy. Now, you know. Going back, I know Spurs had two games this week and, you know, not to go over the Everton game, but it was quite atrocious against Everton and they're just lucky Everton was worse. Spurs have been playing badly. It looks it, A lot of the Jose Mourinho stuff you expect is happening quicker. There's stale, there's a lack of ideas, there's player busts up, there's talk of uh, managers and um, players and managers not seeing eye to eye. You're wondering what any of these players actually contribute, but they got over the line against Everton and 1-1-0. No side has scored more own goals than Everton in the Premier League this season, while no side has benefited more then Spurs, which Everton have conceded three on goals. Spurs have have been, you know, scored four on goals in that, you know, the opposition's done that. Jose Mourinho's never lost a home game against Everton in his career, um, winning seven and drawing two of his last nine games. That's obviously up to eight in ten games now. Um, done his thing. Obviously, Spurs, after winning that and taking three points against Bournemouth, a relegation side, especially going into Sunday's North London derby, you want some insurance, especially because Arsenal didn't do such against Leicester. Now, Bournemouth, were, Spurs were poor against Bournemouth. No ideas, no real creation, you know, not really getting in, not, not really anything, not really any purpose to the play. Players that, you know, Lemayne, if Lemayne is not contributing defensively or breaking up the game, I don't see what he brings. Players are just underperforming. Players are going missing. I can't see what the manager's telling them to do. It's just atrocious. And obviously Spurs are lucky they didn't lose because, you know, I can't remember if it was Callum Wilson, but did he not have a goal disallowed, which was quite unfairly, saying that Spurs should have had a penalty. And again, it's VAR running a mockery and it seems that all decisions VAR has made this week have been poor. Like, you look before, I forget, the United game, Bruno Fernandes, like, he clamps himself, basically. Now, Konza was naive and played into it, but how can that be a pen? What's the point of VAR? United will benefit. Maybe Salis Ferguson is back paying them direct debits and considering the way United are playing, the form they're in and these managers' decisions, I think Salis Ferguson is back managing United, but it's all banter, people. Um, yeah, it's, it's Spurs look lacking ideas. They look stale. They need, like us, in need of some investment. And yeah, man, I, I want to beat Spurs. Form goes out of the window in North London derbies. Form goes out the window definitely when you're a team playing against Arsenal. So we'll have to see what happens in that regards, people, to be completely honest. But, you know, it, it, both teams can't really afford to lose that. So, yeah, Spurs drew nil-nil against Bournemouth. Sheffield United won it at the death against Wolves, courtesy of a corner, and Johnny Egan's headed it in. For Wolves, forgive me if I'm wrong, but their last two games, drawing with us and losing, they've dropped points and especially costly points now going into the going into the top four race, considering Leicester um, dropped and uh, drew as well, but haven't really been dropping points as such um, recent recently. United are on a winning run and Chelsea don't want to mess this up. Chelsea want to get top four just for top four's purposes. And you're hearing a lot of the transfer players they want in dealings and want to see if they're getting Champions League football. The same can be said for Jaden Sanjo and his apparent links to Manchester United. But you get the point. 
Burnley defeated West Ham a goal to nil. And for West Ham, they're still flirting with relegation. You know, it's, it's quite techy and tight up there. You know, Bournemouth can technically get lifted out the relegation zone depending if results go differently for them. I think, is it Bournemouth? Yeah, I think it is Bournemouth. And obviously, Villa are still in the mix as well. So, we'll have to see who goes down. Let me just check the Premier League table to make sure I'm telling you guys the truth, people. Premier League table. Come on, show me that. The relegation race. Yeah, like I said, um, sorry, not Villa. A win takes Bournemouth out of it and could send Watford down, really. I mean, you'd expect West Ham to be cool. They're in a relegation race. There's four games left. They're on 40 points. You know, Watford, you know... A win puts pressure, a win puts pressure, serious pressure on them. You know, if Bournemouth win and results go differently, and without talking about goal difference, Watford will come into the relegation zone. Um, West Ham, you'd like to think they're, they're, they're safe. Wait, is it 40 points? They're not on 40 points. I'm just reading the wrong column. Yeah, what? Um, West Ham are on 31, Watford are on 31, Bournemouth are on 28. So it's techie down there. Even Brighton, they're on 36. You'd imagine they'd be safe once you get to them 40 points. Um, you just, but mathematically, you know, only and, and they can Norwich can still get out of it, but Norwich are gone. I think Villa and Bournemouth. I think the relegation race stays the way it is, people. But you never know, man. And Watford got a big, big three points in their game against Norwich, two goals to one. Wells saves the best two last. He doesn't score many, but that was I won't go as far as to say goal of the season contender. But maybe Watford's goal of the season will definitely up there. I'll give it to Ishmael Assar for obviously what he did against Liverpool, but um. Yeah, big three points for Watford. Big three points. That that this is a six pointer essentially, people. And that Norwich are fighting relegation, more or less gone. It's a six pointer now and for Watford. You know, and um, we'll talk about the games to come. But they've just got to try and keep winning as many games as possible. And it shows what you can do with fighting spirit, people. You know, a lot of them might not get Premier League clubs if they go down. Um, in relation to Everton versus Southampton, you lot saw one one. Forgive me if I can't remember. You lot saw. It shouldn't have been a pen for Ward Prowse, in my opinion. And you could say Karma restored via that atrocious attempt. He smacked the bar. It would be a former Liverpool man to score against um, Everton in, in Danny Ings. Um, and he's having a fantastic season. Lovely goal from Richarlison, people. I'm not going to lie to you lot. Um, yeah, man, Everton and Southampton shared the pieces. Um, and for Watford, going back to Watford, sorry, people, um, and the Watford and Norwich game, Buendia has netted his first Premier League goal in what was his 37th shot in the competition. For Craig Dawson, he scored two goals in five games for Watford since the restart after failing to find the back of the net in his 20 before the break. So it's quite crazy, people. Now, if you saw the game with Palace and Chelsea, it was crazy. I did think Chelsea would win, but Chelsea definitely had to work for that. For me, you lot see what we we gotta speak about Pulisic. Pulisic has found his feet. He's believing in himself. He's believing he's that he he's, can be the difference maker for Chelsea. You know, he, he for me, he's changing the way he plays. He's not always trying to go down the wing or coming inside. He's mixing it up. But for me, it's the mentalness. He believes that he's a difference maker for Chelsea. He believes that he can contribute. Obviously, there's competition for places at Chelsea now, even more so with the impending transfers. You know, Werner and, and Ziyech, maybe even Hervites. That complicates whether you play on the wings or in the 10 or in central midfield. It complicates things. It gives Chelsea fantastic depth. And I think that's what people fail to understand. It's not the end of the world if not every man can play. But there's fantastic depth. And ironically, Chelsea will always give young players chances under Lampard. But it might be the young players that might have to fight for places. Like, I think when Rubens lost his cheap starts, um, is fit and proper going, he can do his thing. But, you know, you'd imagine 
Tammy Abraham's probably begging Lampard to play 4-4-2. Have a part to play, but you've got Werner coming in. He's going to be number one, surely. Wouldn't join for anything less. Giroud has reacted well since um, since he's not been really playing under Lampard since he's got his opportunity. He's reacted very well. Definitely after the restart, Giroud has acted um, has been on fire and he scored five goals in his eight in his eight in his last eight Premier League games. People, um, he had five um, spread out over forty nine games prior to that. People, so uh, maybe he's playing for a move. Maybe he's playing for his future. Maybe he wants to show Manuel Guan and prove to Chelsea why they were right to give him a new deal. Either way, he's on fire and, you know, Tammy, you might not play next season too tough. I hope he does. Mason Mount, you might lose your place. Billy Gilmore, sadly, out for the rest of the season. But there's competition for places, you know. And that's what you need to have, you know. Not everybody needs to play all the time. You need depth. You need competition for places. If Chelsea are to be in the Champions League, you've got a lot of Champions League football to be played. You've got 38 games across the Premier League. Depending on how far Chelsea go in the FA Cup and the Cat Yarabao and all of these things, there's plenty of football. And you need a squad. You don't just need bare positions and everyone for the sake of it. But you need a squad. And for me, Chelsea need a centre-half, um, maybe even a left-back. In fact, I don't think it's a maybe. I think they do need a left-back, really and truly. Maybe even a right-back as well, because people are ageing. I know you've got Reese James and things like that. So we'll have to see what happens. But in relation to beating Palace, Chelsea got over the line. Zuma, big boy challenge from Zuma. Zaha, what a goal. It was it was a techie game, man. It was a techie game. And for Arsenal, I hope we are, I hope we are trying to sign Zaha next season. I know I'm dream-chasing people. But it was, yeah, man, that, that game had everything. Chelsea were hanging on. What? I swear Palace hit the bar at the end at the end as well. Obviously, Chelsea had a quick start with Giroud and Pulisic, who I've just spoken about. Um, Zaha and Benteke reacted for their clubs. And obviously, Tammy almost gave the ball away to Shaggy's team, but he stepped up off the bench and, and made the difference. You've got William playing all right as well, whether he's playing for a new contract or not. I don't know, but he's doing his thing in that regards, people. Um, so an important three points for Chelsea. They got away with it um, in South London and they walk away with the important three, three points. For William, he's had a direct hand in the Chelsea going four consecutive Premier League games for the first time. Four goals and two assists. While since the restart in mid-June, no player has been involved in more goals than the Brazilian, which is six. For um, Zaha, um, his strike was his 36th Premier League goal, but it was just his third from outside the penalty area with the Ivorians first goal in the competition in 17 games since netting in December versus Brighton. And I mean, he picked uh, what a goal to do it. Now, Manchester United, first and foremost, yeah. Um, congratulations to De Gea. I believe he's technically the record holder for the most clean sheets for a foreign goalkeeper. And I know De Gea has been, you know, last game against Bournemouth, there's question marks. There's been question marks over De Gea all season, really, and for a matter of time. But it's still a fantastic award. And on the grand scheme of things, De Gea has been a quality signing for United when we move away from recency biased. And like I said, um, with, with Salah and being around certain people at Man United, you know, if you're a goalkeeper, if you're with or near any stats of De, of, of Peter Smeichel or Van der Sar and people like that, you must be doing all right as a goalie. And I wonder how... Man United fans would rate. I should. I should really ask that. I'd, like in case I forget, I'd love to know how United fans rate their keepers. Like you've got De Gea, you've got historically De Gea, Smichael, and obviously um, Van der Sar. I'd love to hear like all in their prime which ones they rate ahead of everybody. For me, obviously, I'm 25, so I know of Smichael. I got to see Smichael, but I weren't truly comprehending football to that to the degree I am now to see what Smichael was fully on. But I'd probably go with Smichael. My gut. If it was up to me as Van der Sar, and, and, and I'd be no disrespect from De Gea, I mean, De Gea is a bad boy keeper. I just feel 
Van der Sar, you know, he joined United quite late in his career. People are saying this, that and the other. And sometimes you do see keepers, keepers can play forever, but you don't know when it gets to a certain age, you can see like the mad decline, like even Buffon now, layman at Arsenal. I'm sure there's many other examples, people. And I don't think that was really too, too, too apparent with Van der Sar. I really rate Van der Sar highly, people, not just for necessarily United, but he's been a bad boy keeper. Simple as. Moving away from that, what can I say? They won 3-0 important three points you know United have Southampton on Monday I believe um, Southampton have been in decent form especially with Danny Ings but they're getting their three points and they, nobody can them Leicester and Chelsea nobody can afford to slip up nobody can Leicester the pressure's on after drawing and dropping two points against us I'm sure Chelsea and United fans were supporting us for 90 minutes but at least we took two points off them United are still fifth and obviously if results go, keep going the way they are United will just miss out even fifth is not a bad thing depending on what happens with with obviously City but I think third is up for grabs the pressure is on Leicester and if Leicester drop this is bad and United are playing well. Like I said, it's Ferguson back. And I think this is what people under fail to understand. Obviously, a big reason is everybody's fit at United again. But people fail to understand, especially when you play for a club like United, yeah? You've got to be serious. Don't get twisted. You've got to be serious. You can't be a joke, man. But you need to enjoy playing football. The fans are relishing watching them again. The players are probably relishing playing for United again, playing for Oli, playing with their teammates. You know, they see the way they're laughing in the change rooms. That's what you need. You need to be serious, but you need to have a joke. Pogba looks like a new man, not in terms of ability. He's always had it, but he looks like he's enjoying his ball. I'm tired of speaking about Mason Greenwood. I mean, 27 appearances, nine goals in the Premier League, um, one assist. You know, he's in up for double figures in all comps. He's a bad boy. He's a fucking baller. Pardon my French. Greenwood, I've so this is Greenwood is why I love you football people. Because I love to see the rise. Everything I'm seeing Greenwood do at first team level, he was doing it. In fact, that's a lie. There's more to come from Greenwood. There's more consistency. Obviously, right now, as a young player, I always say it, he's in the honeymoon period. Nothing can go wrong. But there's more to come. He will score more goals. You know, he plays with a, a sort of, like Saka, in that he's got a healthy arrogance about him. I mean, yeah, that, that, ain't, that bit ain't even come out in Greenwood yet. Watch when Greenwood understands that I am Manchester United and that I am the difference maker. I am United. Right now, he's the young lad. You know, there's seniority and stuff. Bad boy bad boy you know he's got more to his game people he's got more creativity into you know you see his assist against brighton he's got way more creativity than he's showing right now for me he, he he's obviously dribbling past man but he can stand up man and and, and rip them and uh, and stuff more like there's so many things greenwood is not showing right now that he's got and it's scary you the thing i like about him He's, you know, football, he, he's calculated. You can see these finishes. You can tell he's always been a natural at it. But you can see that's a man there that's practising these finishes a thousand times. Like, he's probably seen... The, the goals he scored, he scored them at Carrington at United's training ground. He scored them in his, at his park, local park. He's worked on himself. And, I, and, and again, I keep relating it to Saka. These two young players, focusing on Greenwood, there's a confidence that comes in repetition. And, they be, and Sa Greenwood believes he's at this level. And for me, Southgate... Foden, Greenwood, Saka, call them the fuck up. Greenwood is a effing baller. Baller. Calculated gunman in front of goal. Don't matter what foot, you know, he's a striker long term, but he's young, he can get experiences elsewhere. Right now he's getting it on the flanks. People forget he can actually play behind the forward, you know. He, Greenwood's got a lot. And I think, you know, United lost the battle to win a war. I remember Oli Golasosha got a lot of stick for promoting Greenwood and selling Lukaku and Alexis and all of these things. And yeah, let's not lie, you know, 
Greenwood's been about all season, but he's hit a purple patch right now. So the shout, the, the claims of looking like a genius have always been there. But Greenwood had to go through this education. Go and look at him at the start of the season. There was a time he's getting stuff. There was a time he was hooked at half time. People forget this stuff. This, the man is developing. He's turning 19 this month, um, this year, sorry, in October, I believe. And he's now coming into his own, you know. He's had his six months in the Premier League. He's got a feel for it. Psychologically, you know, that people forget how psychological football is. Doesn't matter how good you are. He probably was a bit starstruck at the fact that he is a Premier League footballer. He's now got up to standard now. He's got the the process of speed of thought now. His decisions are there now. He's got a bit of a calmness physically in terms of just power and strength. He's got up there because obviously he's been exposed. You can't get experience without getting experience. And now, you know, he's gone through them. I don't even want to say testing six months. And now he's hitting a purple patch where people act like he's been doing this all season. Where he has been, but people need to look at the development. Greenwood is a scary player. Greenwood, for me, is Manchester United's best attacker. Like, I'm a big fan of Martial. I think their best player... Player is Pogba for me. Probably people will say Bruno Fernandes, but it's Pogba for me. Big fan of Martial. You know, I think Greenwood's everything Rashford isn't. And uh, listen, I don't. I'm not rushing out, um, deserting Rashford or rubbing out Rashford. I think he's a baller. You lot know me. I'm a big fan of Rashford. I just think there's levels. I think Greenwood is the golden boy. I think Greenwood is the flag bearer for England and Manchester United in in ten years or so to come. Right, obviously, 10 years is gassing it because he'll be 29. But you get the point. He's going through that. The man is scary, people. Greenwood is scary and he's only 19. Like I said, for all these young players we rant and rave about, they're in the honeymoon period. We can do no wrong. The next step for Greenwood, like Saka, Saka's got 12 assists in all comps. I want to see that next year. Greenwood, I want to see these goals next year and more. Do you get it? They're going to go through tough times, times where they're not scoring, times where they're playing badly times they're giving away the ball these are a lot these are young men you know they're still developing let's enjoy these young players specifically greenwood and let them develop greenwood's up there with the top talent in the world in terms of youth talent let's let's cut the crap but let's just let a man develop greenwood is a scary individual people there's no way around it there's nothing else to say on greenwood like i, I could sit here and speak about greenwood all day i mean i he really is a lovely footballer, man. He's got a lot of talent and I, I, by God's grace, he stays clear of injury and all of these sort of things and is able to go on and do his thing. Obviously, for Manchester United as well, what I like as well about them is we're at the time of the season where you don't need to change too much. You don't need to tinker with the team. And is it any coincidence that, you know, everybody's playing well, everybody's fit first and foremost, everybody's playing well, everybody's enjoying playing football, everybody's enjoying it and... But what's not spoken about is you don't always need to tinker with your lineup. Like, it's no co coincidence. Like, don't get it twisted. I'm sure many United fans, in a way, you know, they might ask questions, even though Luke Shaw's been okay since the restart. Probably Luke Shaw and maybe a centre half and some other depth quality, they'll be the only changes they'll make to these lineups. Like, you know, Matic's been informed, but I'm sure they would like to upgrade or find someone with a bit more longevity. I'm sure United fans wouldn't want to play Lindelof. Like, I'm sure there's not too many Harry Maguire fans, but you can move with Harry Maguire. I think Lindelof's a squad player. I think they need another centre-half, and I think they've got to look at left-back. I think De Gea is still a certified keeper, but by that logic, you could look at De Gea. But I think specifically left-back and centre-half are the only two things. But in terms of what United can only put out there right now without transfers, they're playing their best team. Is it a coincidence for the fourth consecutive time they've named their fourth um, since 2006? This is the fourth Premier League game where it's been a consecutive lineup and they're doing all right for themselves for greenwood the man is scary back to him he's the fourth eight, 18 year old to score free consent to score in free premier league sorry people let me butcher that i'm getting so excited i'm don't even know what i'm saying mason greenwood is the fourth 18 year old to score in three consecutive premier league appearances people um and you know only george Brest, brian kidd and rain rooney all with 17 scored more as a teenager in 
in one season for United. And I mean, you know, if you're next to Brian Kidd, Wayne Rooney and even George Best as a United player, you're doing something good. And like I said, Greenwood can be as good as he wants. One thing I like about Greenwood, and again, you know, there's going to be testing times. He will, throughout his career, he's going to go through injuries. He's going to go through loss of form. He's going to go through numerous external factors which stop him from progressing or potentially hitting levels. It's never just a straight upward curve. There is always bumps and stuff. But for me, one thing I, I, has, I have confidence about Greenwood and I don't know, man, but he's he seems like he's he's got his feet on the ground. Like, yeah, he's playing for United and you're starstruck, but he understands that I'm just a teenager living my dream. And for me, he looks like he's never complacent. Now, we all go through complacency, you know, at a time I was in my deluded stuff. I had that hunger, you know, people started telling me how good I was for a while. I started to believe my own hype and then I had to get my hunger again. And maybe I plateaued and, you know just stayed the same level for a minute you get it. and that happens with a lot of players you know you can you can't you can forgive a young player for breaking through at united doing what they're doing and becoming a bit comfortable but one thing i like about greenwood he looks hungry like i said about the finishes it looks like he's worked on them he looks like a man that's going to work on them work on them work and work on his chances and it's just it's down like Oli Golasolsha said after the game like i've said and you lot have said Greenwood can be as good as as good as good or as bad as he wants to be. You know, if he stays at this level, it's good. He he will be his own worst enemy, uh, excluding injuries and managers. Greenwood will be the only reason Mason Greenwood does not become an English and Premier League legend and hallmark and Man United legend. Greenwood has all the ability. Ability without application means fuck all, pardon my language, but he's got the application. It's down to Greenwood how good he wants to be. He is a scary individual, people. I'm focusing on Greenwood too much, man. I mean, what can United fans say? Obviously, VAR done Aston Villa dirty, but Manchester United, what? Three goals, clean sheet, you know. Everybody more or less do keep doing their thing. Pogba on the score sheet. Bruno scoring as well. Obviously, Greenwood doing his thing. Um, Bruno getting more assists. He's registered six assists after 10 Premier League um, appearances, people. The joint highest along alongside Iron Robin, Di Maria, Mesut Ozil, Lee Sharp, David Ginola and Dujon Tajik. Obviously, United are the first side in the Premier League in Premier League history to win four consecutive games by a margin of three-plus goals. The last team to do so was Liverpool in 1987, people. Bit of a pointless stat as well, but United are also the first team to beat an opponent on every day of the week in the Premier League, with obviously beating Aston Villa in the sixth fixture to be played on all seventh days of the week in the competition. Man United obviously have been awarded a hell of a, a lot of a penalties. They've been awarded 13 Premier League penalties this season no team has ever been awarded more in a single campaign um so you know which is also the same as i believe crystal palace in 0405 and leicester in 2015-16 so ferguson is fully back paying his direct debits to the premier league um you know they've been awarded 13 of the 73 79 penalties taken in this premier league season people the highest portion of any side in the history of the competition um I forgot to mention it, but with Bournemouth's draw against Spurs, um, this was the first time in, a, in 186 Premier League games that the Cherries have faced zero shots on target, whilst the first time a side has managed by Jose Mourinho had no shots on target in a Premier League game. So, yeah, they, like I said, Spurs have no, no, they had no plans, they had no ideas, they, were, they weren't ruthless, they were in fact extremely toothless. Hopefully the same happens on Sunday. Um, looking to the week ahead, obviously you've got the North London derby. Form goes out of the window. It goes down to Desire. You know, it's Jose's first as Spurs manager. It's and he's got a history of Arsenal for Arteta. It's his first against Arsenal, um, for Arsenal against Spurs. 
in terms of feel-good factor, we need to win this, people. We need to win this. Spurs' form is... Ours isn't perfect, but theirs is worse than ours. Not that form matters, but we'll have to see what happens. Newcastle got Watford. Newcastle fresh after getting smacked up against City. Watford need to win games simple as. Sheffield United against Chelsea. Chelsea, that's a serious trip to Bramall Lane to go and win that. Sheffield haven't been the Sheffield they were early in the season, but it still will be a tough game. You know, you've got another you've got another six-pointer in West Ham versus Norwich. You know, Norwich are probably down already. West Ham winning those three points will be a big three points. You've got City against Brighton, which, you know, you'd expect City to run riot, but you never know at this time of season. Aston Villa are fighting relegation, and if Palace play how they did against Chelsea, they will take Aston Villa to the slaughter. Because Villa were decent for a sec against United, but the thing is, United were, if I'm sure most United fans, they'll be honest, they'll say we were in third gear really and truly. We didn't really create much for large periods, and then we just turn it on. They didn't have to be at their best to beat Villa. So Villa need to step it up if they're going to stay in this league, which I don't think they are. Leicester have Bournemouth. Leicester, Bournemouth, for whatever happened and whatever reason, they drew 0-0 against Spurs. That should give them a tiny bit of confidence in that they're playing one of the top sides in the league. Kills me to say that. And they got something out of it. Um, so we'll see how that one goes. On Monday, like I said, Manchester United have Southampton. And the beauty of playing on Monday is United get a break. United will see, already know the results of what's happening in terms of um, Leicester, Chelsea and you can't always you can't rule out Wolves versus Everton you can't rule out Wolves for the top four so United will fully understand they've done United have done their jobs in winning the games they have and the pressure is on because these teams are going to be thinking about United playing on Monday United have the luxury of seeing everybody play and knowing what they have to fully do people simple as that um so yeah man and what there's what two points separating Leicester Chelsea and United at the time of this so it's a big it's a big the, the, the title race is already decided, but in terms of the Champions League and relegation week, it's a big week, people. Now, VAR, they, they come out and they said they got all three decisions wrong. It's atrocious. And I'm sure there's many periods this season where VAR isn't making sense. Like one, like the same incidents in another game is being ruled out because of other things. Do you, you get it? what I'm saying, people? And obviously you've got the numerous decisions. Now, Wenger was very critical on refereeing in this country and, and VAR in general. And apparently FIFA have taken full operation of, VARs, of VAR. Um, apparently it has informed all associates. Um, the, the IFAB, which is the International Football Association Board, football's lawmakers, have previously worked closely with FIFA on the development and implementation of VAR, also providing training and education. Um, and it also said, following the successful launch period where FIFA worked in conjunction with the IFAB, we would like to inform you that all VAR-related activities will now transfer to FIFA. All VAR-related questions, comments or suggestions have been directed to FIFA from July 1st. FIFA will continue to work with IFAB on matters involving VAR protocol, the laws of the game or approval requirements. Um, so, yeah, people, and like, like I said, like you saw, Spurs should have had a penalty for Josh King's shove on Harry Kane. Um, you've obviously got James Wood-Prowse hitting the crossbar, which, you know, that penalty shouldn't have lasted. And obviously Bruno Fernandez's thing as well. So there's numerous times this week and historically why it's been wrong. And, you know, they've come out and said they were wrong for that on Match of the Day before I'd mentioned that. Now, moving to what I call the rest of the stuff to speak about, folks. Um, to wrap up this podcast, we'll get to the end furlong of this podcast. We might as well speak about first and foremost Latin Ibrahimovic. Now he was been he's been talking in relation to his future at AC Milan, and he said, "They told me that retiring in America was too easy, so I came back to Milan. I'm here purely for passion because I'm basically playing for free. 
Then this COVID situation stopped everything and I thought maybe there's something trying to tell me that I should retire. Fortunately, we got back on the pitch. My calf managed to get involved too, but after two days, I was ready to come back into the team. Ibra is like that, but they told me to take it slow. Ibra was born to play football and is still playing the best. Is still the best at playing football. We'll see how I feel in two months. We'll also see what's happening with the club. If this is the situation, to be honest, it's unlikely you'll see me at Milan next season. Ibra is not a player for the Europa League, and Milan are not a club who belong in the Europa League. I spoke for me and the, and for the team. I needed to have some explanations for the future, both mine and Milan. And I said that this is not the Grand Milan I once experienced. That is true. But we must do the best we can, even in this situation, all the way to the end. Ibra is here. Ibra takes care of it. I have to be here or you'll lose fans. I don't know if there'll be another club after Milan. I, I never like to close doors to opportunities. I'll only go somewhere I have some control. Not where words are worth nothing. I still have too much passion for what I do. He then asked, when when pressed on the manager people, he said, who's Rangnick? I don't know who he is, which is Ralph Rangnick. He was allegedly going to be the next manager people. And he also was very hypocritical, well, sorry, very critical of Ivan Gazidis. And it's a bit cringy hearing Zlatan talk the way he does at times, but it's certainly. Now, obviously, Black Lives Matter is still a thing. And I'm sure you all saw... Um, the, 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 the the fantastic sort of stuff the MLS players put on people um, and the MLS after it kicked off people. Um, obviously, you all saw Thierry Henry took a knee for the first eight minutes, 46 seconds of their game against New England in honour of George Floyd. And obviously, moments before the uh, Major League Soccer became the biggest North American team sports league to return to the field of play, you know, on Wednesday night, obviously, like you saw, a coalition of black players in the league led a lengthy moment of silence before... Orlando City versus Inter Miami kicked off, which is obviously in the MLS back tournament in Orlando. This had more than 170 players from around the world, um, around the league, sorry, took part in the protest. It was obviously unusually long. Um, obviously, it can't ever, no matter how long it is, it won't be as long. It won't be longer than the fight. Black people are trying to make for justice just to be treated humanly. Like I was reading the report, and George Floyd sadly said, I can't breathe 20 times. I mean, why are these people not fucking giving a shit and just being nice human beings. I mean, there really is evil in this world and I really hope that one day we find justice. More so, I hope George Floyd and every other sad victim of what is going on with police brutality is somewhere laying peacefully and resting in peace. Do I think we'll ever get justice? No, because I don't think people care about black lives enough. I've seen people, I've seen dogs slaughtered make more headlines than black lives. I think people are desensitized because of history's connotations and what they see through black lives actually mattering. Black li and I think the problem, a lot of the problem is, I don't, if you want to get at the organized, the Black Lives Matter organization, that's another thing. But I think why some, some people are so threatened with the slogan Black Lives Matter is because they're scared that they'll have to live a day in our shoes. They're scared of being equal. They love to feel that they're, be they're better than everybody. Um, and they just don't understand what black power and black pride comes with it, but purely because white supremacy, nine times out of ten with history, is seen whether it's through science and telling, literally telling black people we're more inferior than white people, not as, not as smarter, whether that's through food, whether that's in smart little ways with religious figures or religious features of religious features of religious figures you know blue eyes and stuff like that the connotations with you know black anything that's cheap you've got black attached tribute to it anything that's negative it's a black day it's a dark day and white is is with purity obviously 
black power and white power. White power comes with white supremacy and the whole Aryan Brotherhood and, you know, the elite race and eugenics and all of these sort of things, which a certain Churchill used to believe. Hopefully he's somewhere not enjoying his afterlife because I don't give a shit about Churchill. You lot can kill me for that if you want. But, you know, it was lovely to see, you know, it was lovely to see what was happening in the MLS. And if nothing more, it's a lovely show of solidarity. More needs to be done. Um, but it is what it is. When asked on es on ESPN's broadcast, veteran Toronto FC fullback Justin Merrill said, what you saw was just a moment of solidarity, standing up with our brothers and sisters, fighting the fight for racial equality and human rights. Not sure it's fighting the fight, it's just solidarity because the game kicks off. Black person probably died within those minutes of, of this happening, people. There needs to be more. I'm not criticising them, I'm just saying, you know, in life, it just feels like, you know, these acts of solidarity, we're doing more of this than actually trying to eradicate things. Um, he said, um, he also said, we as professional athletes, we see what is happening across the sports landscape in America and the world and how us black players have been galvanized by the death of George Floyd. When we first organized as a group, we talked about a protest together because Orlando gave us a unique opportunity to all be together. Tonight is our responsibility to carry on this conversation to make sure the cycle of violence stops. Moving away from sadly negative things, people, apparently the Premier League Premier League clubs plan to give their players just two weeks break ahead of what could be a mammoth 335-day campaign. Um, the Daily Mail, Sports Mail, understands several top-flight clubs have pencilled in the week commencing August the 10th for players to start pre-season ahead of the truncated 2020-2021 season. Several top-flight clubs plan to start pre-season training, as I said, on the 10th of May. The Premier League season will finish on the 26th of July, so holidays will be cut short. Clubs have also told their stars that they would prefer for them to remain in the UK. Um, and obviously, you know, footballers need a break mentally more than anything. But I think, obviously, they had the COVID. You had the COVID, so I don't think it's a thing. They've had their break. Um, obviously, lactic acid builds up and the games are coming thick and fast and all these things. But I think they've had their break. I think we're ready to go again. And, you know, I'll, I'm yeah, that's it, really. I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a bummer if you're a player. But you can imagine you get a week or two in Dubai, in, at least. So nothing wrong with that. Obviously, the Europa League and Champions League draws are being made as I make this podcast, people. So, you know, we'll have to speak about that next week. But um, in relation to City, their second leg against Real Madrid will be played at the Etihad as UEFA have confirmed all outstanding second league ties in the Champions League and Europa will be held at the home team stadiums behind closed doors. Um, City will host Real Madrid on either the 7th or the 8th of August, while Chelsea faced by Munich away and you know I just clocked what we were just talking about I completely forgot about the Champions League so it's like it's a matter what the season when does the season start late August September if you're playing in the Champions League you have even less of a break because like I said people are penciling in you know August and whatnot, the 10th and things like that the 10th of August where City would still if in theory they'd still be playing they'd still be playing they'd still you know there'd be the second leg in the last 16 and you'd have a couple of rounds in the Champions League left if Pardon me if you go through to the next round. So we'll have to see what happens with that, man. Obviously, in the Europa League, you've got Wolves versus Olympiacos and you've got Manchester United on the 5th or 6th of August against LSK, LASK. So again, you know, they're pro both teams are probably against it and things like that in terms of fatigue. Um, as you lot saw, I believe it's wrong. Eric Dyer has been given a four-match ban and fined £40,000 for climbing over the seats to confront a fan. Now, neutrally, I get it. You know, he's a he's a player. He's jumped over. He's put himself in danger. He's put individuals in danger. Obviously, a footballer, the conduct, I get all of these things. There's many reasons to throw the book at him. 
I don't think there's a need for the fine. I think he could have got a one-match ban, if anything. I think, if anything, you should have just given him a warning. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if he's a footballer and, and Eric Dyer playing for England and stuff. If somebody's going to hurt your family member or your brother, you're not thinking about professionalism. You're going to protect. Do you get it? So I think the FA have done have done him dirty. And I think people have been more punished hard, less harshly for, for being racist than this, which I think is a joke, people. And this obviously means that... Um, He's obviously, the 26-year-old is ruled out for all but one of Spurs' remaining fixtures. Um, and he's also been warned about his future conduct by the FA. And he'll obviously be out of the Arsenal game, people, which I think is quite sad because he's like, listen, rivalry aside, I think he's been done dirty. I don't think, I think this is an excessive punishment on him when he was only trying to defend his blood. Way before he was Eric Dyer and a footballer and known worldwide, he had his brother. You know, and, and what would, would he have been able to forgive himself knowing if something sad happened to his brother? He went to defend his brother and I'm sure he would do the same again. I'm sure many people within the FA gave him the fine would and I'm sure many people listening to this podcast as I speak would have done the same thing as well. So we'll have to see what happens in that regard. Grassroots football though, for those of you like myself that play Sunday League, we're going to finally see a return. Um... You know, the FA has said we are now working to submit a comprehensive action plan and related guidance for government approval as outlined by the DM, DCMS's publication. Once approved, we will publish new guidance for grassroots football community. We'll confirm timings as soon as we're able. In the meantime, competitive grassroots football can prepare to return and look forward to the start of the new season. Um, which for me is very important because I play for the Rongans and here and there I like to play Sunday League football and pretend I'm Danny Alves. So it's nice to see. And for me, obviously, I'm a grown man. And like you lot, grown men and women listening to me, if you're a bit younger, you are. The time's come for us. But there's all seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds that are, love football, in it? So it's, it's sad that they're unable to play grassroots because certain people, certain, you know, it's sad to say, but certain kids, they don't have the best of home life. Like, it's not necessarily. So the only bit they, they get to feel happy is football. The only positive role model is that football coach. The only sort of person that makes them feel human and gives them confidence is a football coach. Same way sometimes it might be a teacher. So there's been a lot of kids that have had to miss out on such. So I'm sad for that. And just because it's football, people. It's sad. Moving away from that, though, and to wrap this up, we might as well speak about transfer news or transfer things that are going on, people. Um, first and foremost... Um, you lot know Marseille have been doing good in France, but they're still a long way off being off PSG. Apparently, Mohamed Ayoshi Adurari, I can't say his name, but he's an investor. And he said um, the club dream of one day seeing Zinedine Zidane in the dugout and Cristiano Ronaldo wearing the famous shirt. Um, and you lot know they've been all right. They finished second in the league this term, and but obviously by 12 points. But Marseille had a decent season. They were able to keep certain players as well as their manager. They've been all right, people. Um, apparently, keeping up with the theme of Eric Dyer, apparently he has stunned Tottenham's hierarchy with his wage demands. He has less than 12 months to run on his contract. Apparently, um, he's been told, he's told David Levy, um, we've been, well, allegedly reports have said David Levy's been taken uh, uh, back by Dyer's expectation of a wage more than double his 60 a week, a week wages. And to be fair, I don't believe he's worth it, but he should be trying to pursue that. He's 26. There's not too many times you're going to sign a big deal. And you'd imagine, you know, he'd sign a four or five year deal or Spurs would do that to take him to 30, 31. So it's his last chance of a big contract. Obviously, the fact that of Spurs' position and to a degree, he's been in slightly decent form will play a part. Spurs' position in that they need a rebuild. And I think for all clubs, we need to, you know, United fans might want to sell Luke Shaw. Arsenal fans might want to sell Chambers and Holding and Maitland-Niles and that Chelsea might want to sell certain men and City the same. 
But we all need to recognise the homegrown law and how vital that is. And that might be something that saves him, people. I think it's atrocious, but I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it is it. I mean, maybe they come to an agreement of 100k a week. I'm not too sure if that's something Spurs want to pursue. But that's something Dyer should be trying to do, you know, trying to get his Mula. Same way Ericsson went and got his Mula. Do you get it, people? Um... Apparently, Chelsea are trying to sign the next Kylian Mbappe. United, Chelsea are very close to bringing in Malimun Ifikeli, a 15-year-old striker who has been baptised in new Mbappe. The, player, the, the Blues have been in advanced contact with his family to bring the player to London. Chelsea will try and correct the mistake they made back in the day when they could have signed Mbappe at 14 years of age, but decided not to. Apparently, PSG are looking at him as well. And rather scary, he's actually been coached by... Um, Mbappe's dad and he's also from the same place Um, he played for AS Bondi so it, you never know very dangerous of that I mean the man's 15 you never know what he's going to be and everybody's the next Mbappe everyone's the next Cristiano Ronaldo everyone's the next this that and the other but you know if that's who they believe that's who they believe but I think it's quite scary at 15 the very fact that the newspapers are onto this really and truly it's quite you sh it shouldn't be a thing Um, we all know Milik Milik is expected to join either an English team or Juventus. And Napoli's sporting director has more or less said that is going to be the case. We'll have to see. Berbatov reckons Manchester United do not need to sign Jadon Sanjo because of Mason Greenwood, which I disagree heavily. I think, yeah, Greenwood's made it less of an option, but you need depth. God forbid, what if Martial wakes up and says, I want to leave tomorrow? What if Rashford loses, Greenwood loses form? What if Greenwood wants to leave? What if Rashford wants to leave? What is, do you get it? You need depth. You need depth. There are injuries. There's loss of form. There's fatigue. I get it. Um, I get it. Greenwood can slot in anywhere. Like I said, he can play behind the striker. He can play on either flanks. And, you know, you need competition for places, you know. People, Greenwood's playing well, but he might not get complacent if he knows Sanjo's a bat. Martial, you know, he's having his best, one of his best seasons since he signed for United. He might not rest on his lows and get overconfident. The same goes for Rashford. Football's a squad game. I'm not saying you need bare man in them attacking roles, but I think Sanjo takes it up a level. He gives them another dimension on that right-hand side or even the left. But for, for what it's worth, Berbatov has said, look how the squad are doing at the moment. I don't think Sanjo is necessary. And to be fair, United need depth because I'm sure you ask many honest United fans, they're only two injuries away from a Mazda. Um, he said, look at the front three from the other night. The speed of Martial, Rashford and Greenwood was great to watch. Their link-up play was fantastic. Football is a funny thing. You have a great player, great young player in Sanjo, but at the same time, you have a great young player in Greenwood. United have to question if they're ready to sacrifice and halt the development of Greenwood, one of their own, to bring Sanjo in. They could both rotate, and not only them, but Martial and Rashford. You have to ask the manager and the player if someone is signing for Man United, will they be expecting to play every game? Otherwise, why are you there to sit on the bench? Um, he said, I'll be happy to see him at United because we'll bring in even more power to the team and they would have four great attackers up front with speed, which would be frightening to watch. If they find a solution and price for Sanjo, it's good. Go for it because when you have all these great players in your team, you only have good problems on your hands. And that's true. And I've been Berbatov. You've got to remember what, at some point, forgive me if I'm wrong, you know, I could, chronologically, but you, and the times have changed, but United have always, at a time, managed to balance about four strikers of all different standards. You know, at a point, you had Cole, Sheringham, um, Oli Golisosha, York, and the rest of them. At a time, I'm sure, and again, every players were playing in different positions, but you had Wayne Rooney, Tevez, Ronaldo, Berbatov. I'm probably missing someone else. I'm not sure chronologically if Van Persie was ever about at these times, but United always had a bag of firepower and they managed to make it work. 
because there's diff different greens require different man. Sometimes it might it, it might be a green with an Asan an Sanjo thing. Sometimes Sanjo it's not the game for him. Sometimes it's not the game for Greenwood, which I can't imagine it. Sometimes it's not the game for Rashford. Sometimes it might just be the existing partnership you see now. Sometimes it might be Martial, Sanjo and, and Rashford. Sometimes it might be Greenwood up top, Martial and Sanjo. You need these problems, people. And, you know, you can't fear competition, in my opinion, because injuries change things. Jorginho, do you not think Jorginho's going to leave Chelsea? Because I started to deep that he's barely starting and it seems at the moment he's not fitting the system despite his obvious strengths on the ball. Um, he has said he's n he's not paying attention to any exit rumours and he's focused on helping the team finish strongly. He said, I'm just focusing on finishing the season well with Chelsea and qualifying for the Champions League. Obviously, you've got John Stones who hasn't had much joy this season. Um, and he's probably someone that might leave City even. Um, again, the homegrown thing might tip it. But he said, I've said many times, I'm more than delighted with John as a person, as a pro, everything. I want... What I want is be is what's best for him. We'll speak at the end of the season about what is going to happen. Sometimes my wish is not the wish of the players or the wish of the situation for the club. At the moment, I feel it. We have to change. We'll talk to them. He's young and we want him to be consistent to train and recover. This seems like someone whose career is in the balance. There are players who can play every three days for the seven month, 11 months. Others struggle more to be fit and we and we try to find the key to playing every three days is what we want. So he probably has question marks over John Stone's fitness and maybe just application and ability and just developing because, you know, you look at Sterling through Sterling's hard work and obviously listening to Art, um, Arteta as well, ironically, but Pep, he's become twice the player, you know. Mares kicking on, becoming twice the player. People are looking twice the player. As much as I like John Stone's, is he significantly better than the one you saw at Everton? Not really, no. Is he... You know, you're speak, speaking of English centre-halves. Is John Stones your starter? Probably not. It's Maguire and whoever can fight for that. Um, I like John Stones. I'm a big fan of John Stones. He's had good moments, but he needs to stay fit. He needs to ha want to have that hunger to improve people. Um, and Guardiola also said we have Mendy, um, Laporte, Fernandinho and Eric Garcia, who is doing incredibly well. He must play for himself and focus. He and anyone will not be judged or bad for bad actions or bad moments. Be what you are. We know what he is, the quality and the perspective there. So, yeah, man, I mean, Eric Garcia is linked with a move to Barcelona. You know, you can't imagine Fernandinho is going to be there too long. You can't imagine Fern and the same for Mendy. So, on paper, there is space for that. But you can imagine, or I say imagine, City need to bring in a centre-half or two. Definitely one minimum. I'm not too sure how much things change when you're talking of the signing of... Um, a new centre-half because Eric Garcia's emergence. But Garcia on paper hasn't signed a new deal yet and he's still contracted until 2021. So we'll have to see We'll have to see just how that one develops and how that one comes about really and really and really and truly get people um, moving away from that though. And I hope it don't happen, but apparently Chelsea, as you lot know, are in pole position to sign Kai Hervites. And because of other rivals being put off by the 90 million... Um, valuation of the 21 year old and for me he'd be a terrific player for me he, he can he can develop as a 10 I can see him as a great 8 or a 4 um, he would fit Lampard's system you know Lampard I imagine he wants to implement midfielders like himself that were very dynamic that can get goals and assists that can get up and down the field there was a lot of development for Kai Hervites to do he's had a bit of an up and down season but he's a terrific signing crucially though like Jaden Sanjo he wants to play Champions League football again which makes the race between Chelsea Leicester and United even more sort of political moving away to Barcelona apparently their club presidents kind of quashed any proposal of Neymar returning because 
of the impact or the negative impact of the coronavirus. He said, um, more or less, it's too big of an operation. But on Pjanic, he said, Pjanic is a player who has wanted to sign for us for a long time. He was highly sought after. And there was a Barcelona player who wanted Juventus. But it's an exceptional situation. It's not to balance finances because we have sold other players for whom we had offers. Arthur is a player who is highly valued. You're lying. You were about, you know, all laundering peas and things like that. But staying on that though, Real Madrid are kind of, kind of playing down, kind of playing up to the point of Corona messing up things. Apparently, Pogba might sign a new deal, and he's being looked at by Real Madrid, so that might be of benefit for United. But their um, director, more or less, said Botrangeo. I can't say his name, but he said, I think the football industry has to adjust this new situation with with the ongoing uncertainty about when a vaccine will be discovered. In the meantime, we need to be both creative and be flexible enough to adapt our ideas to the new situations. I think it's really important to understand that this is not a football crisis, this is a global crisis, and football is part of the world and part of the economy which is struggling. The situation of the course is going to condition the transfer market and there are question marks about the future. Having said that, we don't exactly know what is going to happen. Now, just some quick short ones. Apparently, you know, uh, Martinez has been convinced has convinced Arsenal's coaching staff to persist with him and not sign a backup goalie. Kevin De Bruyne's agent said he will not leave Man City if their transfer ban is upheld. Apparently, Pep Guardiola is looking at um, David Alaba. Man- Real Madrid are ready to sell their Serbian forward Luka Jovic. Apparently, Leicester want to sign him for thirty-one million. Um, Dortmund have played coy to, to Jadon Sancho leaving and said he he isn't going to leave, but we've got targets in mind. Um, apparently Osman Dembele has been linked with a move away from Barca and as a backup option should Man United fail to sign Jadon Sanjo um, which Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has apparently still said that he wants to sign that he wants a left-sided centre-half and he wants a right-sided midfielder um, apparently Republic of Ireland midfielder Jeff Hendrick is set to miss out on a surprise move to AC Milan because of the coronavirus that would have been quite a move for him people Real Madrid are planning to buy um um, Eduardo Camavinga from Rennes and obviously Kellen Mbappe in 2021 and I've told both of them not to renew their current deals which is crazy um, which is crazy Leeds are keen on signing Brighton centre-back Hayden Roberts with Brentford Derby and Leipzig all interested um, Inter Milan want striking duo Olivier Giroud well, well Chelsea duo better yet left-back Emerson um, Italian international and also Giroud which we'll have to see what happens in that regards people um, St Etienne are hoping to persuade Arsenal to let obviously William Saliba play in the Cop de la France still um, apparently PSG are looking at AC Milan midfielder Ismail Benassia they consider him key to the rebuild of their midfield and they want him for next season apparently he has a clause that won't be activated until 2021 but he has an activation clause of 50 million um, which we'll have to see AC Milan did turn down proposals um, for him of 30 million euros to wrap this up, apparently, you know, Arsenal will wear their home kit against Watford, their new home kit on the final day of the season, their new home thing. So let's see the drip. Now, I don't want to go into it. Please check out my videos on YouTube for the specifics and all my thoughts in relation to Gwendozi and Arteta. But we know we're at a point with Gwendozi where his stubbornness is going to cost him. There's busts up with several players. You know, David Luiz allegedly has tried to calm him down. There's been a refusal to say sorry for several times. And it just seems that while in isolation these things can be annoying i think arteta's just had enough you've got the brighton you've got dubai you've just got the general antics that have been here before arteta and i think it's going to come out ahead and julian Lorenzo said at the moment i can't see how this one gets resolved he's a very stubborn young man 
Guendouzi and so is Arteta. Not so young, but very much stubborn as well. I don't think Arsenal want to sell him, but they might have to sell him if they don't get that issue resolved, which is crazy. Um, he's also He also spoke of signing Arte um, signing Sabas. He said, I'm really happy with him at the moment. I think something that the club has, has to go a little bit further with Madrid on. Um, I'm really happy with him. I love how much he likes to play football. The passion he puts into everything, in, even in training and every game. His celebrations, whether he's on the pitch or the bench, he puts his life into it. He's evolving and has become a really important player for us. And he also spoke about his overall contributions defensively as well. So it'd be nice to see if we can come to an agreement. You know, in relation to Guendouzi, apparently there's a meeting scheduled at the end of the season where things can change. Now, I'm sure you've all seen people that, you know, um, we've allegedly announced that we'll that um, that there's been a bit of a, there's been a bit of news in relation to KSE loans and stuff like that. Um, we'll redeem. KSE, KSE and Arsenal, you know, KSE will redeem their their fixed rate bonds at a different rate. So what that could mean is that, you know, there's there's less pressure on us to return money or better yet pay back money. Ideally, this loan will be at an even lower rate of interest than the current bond or even interest free. So that obviously our annual interest payments will fall and at a result at some level, there'll be stronger cash reserves. Um, our interest paid last year in cash terms in total was around 11 million while our debt repayment was 90, was 9 million. So, you know, you do the math, how much is that spent? Um, obviously, you have to note that fixed rate bonds do not cover all of Arsenal's outstanding debt, but it does represent the lion's share. Despite the penalties for early redemption, it makes sense to refinance at a time of record low interest rates, obviously with some of that globally, economically. So we'll have to see. It doesn't mean, you know, that it, do it could mean in theory that there's more liquid funds and we could be funds could be getting freed up to buy players but it doesn't necessarily mean that it could also mean that you know Kronke's further dipping in his teeth into this club and shackling us and doing this this bondage thing but it, it should mean um that we free up most of the cash that Arsenal had to hold in debt service reserve which was around 37 million for both fixed rate and floating rate bonds um but we, it's also important to remember that this is all speculative. This doesn't all mean that we're going to go on some big spending thing. It just means that there's literally been a change. We'll have to see how that one develops, people. Honest to God, really and truly. Um, on that note, though, it's been a terrific podcast. I think I've been here longer than I planned to. And I've got nothing more to add, man. You lot know me. I'll be here probably this time next week to review what's happened. Um, but yeah, man, in the meantime, if you're missing me, check out my YouTube content. But for now, DG, I'm out. It's always a pleasure.